Hey everybody, Patty G of the Patty G Show here. We are back for an on-site recording of this week's episode. We are here at Gator Millworks with Chad Foster. I am super excited to learn about his journey, his story, how he got here, and more importantly, what all this high-tech gear is behind us in his warehouse production facility. We're going to talk about all those types of things and kind of how he built the company from where he picked it up from his dad to where it is now and just all exciting things across the board. But before we get to that, I want to give a big, wonderful shout-out and thank you to the amazing folks that make this show possible each and every week. We have Falaya Real Estate, Horizon Financial Group, Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge, Government Taco, and of course, you know our outfit that we're wearing today is brought to you by McClavey Limited. Without further ado, Chad, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me out at your facilities and to kind of witness how this secret sauce is made, man. This is pretty intense. I'm not going to lie. It's a little different than your normal cabinet shop. Yes. I haven't been to many cabinet shops, but I've been to like one or two, and it's this is nothing like what you've got, you know, just within this facility. So for those that maybe don't know who Gator Millworks is and who you are, who are you and what exactly do you do, man? Um, well, my name is Chad Foster. I am the CEO, president of Gator Millworks, and uh, we are an architectural millwork company that makes uh, custom millwork uh, uh, items for commercial and residential projects uh, located throughout the, the South. Okay, so you cover just beyond Louisiana, all the South. We do, and, and we've had other projects. Uh, we've shipped stuff all the way to California before, so I mean, we, we'll reach out and go distances, but it just depends on the project. Okay, and so what exactly is millworks and how is that defined well millwork is sometimes confusing to some people because they think of metalwork sometimes but um, it's woodwork is what we do so uh, millwork is sometimes related to doors windows um, we don't make doors and windows here um, we do casework specialty items a um, little, little differently but the millwork came from when the company was started uh, 28 years ago okay so let's go back those 28 years yeah, I'm assuming it was way different than what we've got behind us. So kind of walk us through that progression of how it was started, how it was founded, and then kind of where we are today. Well, my father and a gentleman, uh, so my father, Randy Foster, and Gary Henson was uh, the original founders of this company. Uh, Gary was a home builder, and my father was a, a, a trade uh, carpenter. And um, they started the company, named the Gator Millworks, and I think some people may think it's probably off of a gator but it's actually not it's actually from a dog uh it was the name okay. of, it was the name of a dog so uh that's how they named the company gator millworks but um they started off in central louisiana they um real small it's a residential uh millwork shop that uh, produced cabinets for you know kitchens and bathrooms and just kind of grew from there uh went from um about a year and a half in central and then relocated to denham springs uh right there on Highway 16, and that's where we were until we moved here. Okay. And so at the time, what type of work were they doing in those early years at a, I'm assuming, a much smaller scale than where you are now? Much smaller scale, but uh, at the time, we, you know, that was the early 90s, so uh, market was, was extremely hot locally and um, built a lot of ca cabins for, you know, custom home builders in Baton Rouge area, uh, Livingston Parish, um, surrounding other parishes, but uh, stayed really uh, into the residential market and not until we really kind of grew into the commercial where this becomes where the need's at. Yeah, and I figure, you know, in that residential market, it's a whole lot easier to do that by hand, I'm sure. Um, it, it is, but it takes a lot more skill. Um, yeah, <laughs> yes. It, it's it's more, um, more hands-on residential work is, so um, I think that was a great thing for me to learn that first uh, was important because 
you know, we went from doing everything by hand, which I am thankful for, because uh, this becomes easier with the technology. Oh, yeah. And I know, like, just from doing some on my own kind of not necessarily mill work, but res- like residential repairs and maintenance and just improvements on my own house, making a cabinet with proper fitting <laughs> drawers, proper fitting doors is not an easy task at all. It starts with a cut list. <laughs> so well, you make a good cut list and it will actually fit a little bit better. But uh, uh, What? A cut list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I never, never would use one of those and it's, it shows when you don't. You just got to break everything down. So you, you, you start with uh, an idea and then you, you take it from uh, material thicknesses and uh, uh, everything else and, and start making cuts. So. so how did you start getting involved with Gator? So my father, um, I wanted to work with him in the summers. So when I was uh, out of middle school, uh, summertime's come around, and I wanted to go to work with my dad. So um, that's how I got started in the millwork industry. I mean, what made you want to go start working on cabinets? I don't know. Um, <laughs> it was something that was interesting, I guess. Um, I've always liked, I guess, like working with my hands. Um, I'm thankful for, for having that ability to do that, um, and that and to learning that skill. Uh, but learned at an early age, I guess, and just, um, I like challenges. So I think that that pushes me to, to do things differently, um, because of that. And so like, what were the, the dinner table conversations? I mean, did you ever feel like it was not necessarily like pressured into going to the family company, but was there ever discussions of how is this going to continue for the next generation? I mean, was that even a thought at the time? At the time, no, it wasn't the thought. Um, it was um, kind of like you take a day at a time and, and, and you kind of see where it goes. And that's kind of still how it is today in one respect. So, you know, we we all learned in the last several years how to pivot. So um, I think that uh, it's no different than it was then. It's just a little bit different of a pivot. But it, you just kind of whatever works and you like it, you love it, and you do it. Yeah, I mean, that's... I grew up in the in a family business household as well, and it was every dinner table was always talking about how's the day's work, how are the projects that were being done, and it was that very much day to day mindset. But you know, it's always looking forward at that point in time. How do we pass on the baton? You know, how does it continue as either a family legacy, or how do we pass it on to the next set of people that are going to take the company to the next level? It's I'm sure is part of every family business history and part of their plan, I guess. Um, I have two kids, so um, I don't. I have an answer to that, but that's up to them, you know. So yeah, uh, they have to want it. I wanted it, so uh, I think it, it, it. The person has to really want to do it. Um, the family may want that, but they really have to make sure that the person is going to take care of the company that's been around for so long. And that I think is part of a family business element that is important, giving them the ability to kind of make that decision, make that choice, instead of telling people or telling your kids no you're expected to come to work when you're 16 or whatever age it may be and take on this family legacy like I've built this for I took this from my dad I grew it to where it's at now and I expect you to kind of do the same it almost puts like a bunch of pressure on the children to kind of have these expectations they have to live up to so I love the way that y'all are approaching it yeah and I would never have that for my kids I got two beautiful girls and um they they do mention it at times but it's, it's once again it's they have to put in that effort and that work so so are they of the age where they have come like worked around or they just come and visit dad at the shop they come and visit yeah uh, I have a 16 year old and a 10 year old so yeah not quite at the age of, of, of getting behind the saw and everything I'm, I'm trying to get my oldest one to come maybe work a little bit this summer so there you go just do more like you know operation side of things a little bit so you were talking before the show, you actually were on track to graduate early 
and kind of go into your career in the, at, a, at a university. So that's kind of, I want to walk through that high school career and then the point in time in which you kind of had to put your foot in the game and start taking this over. So uh, I went to Central High School. Um, I wanted to graduate a little earlier than um, I guess I should have, but um, I had friends that were older than me. They were in college, and I wanted to be with them. So I, I, same way. <laughs> kind of learned that um, I, some things that I could take some correspondence classes with LSU. Um, took some of those. I went to uh, Walker High School to take a summer school um, English class, and it let me take English four as a junior by doing that. And um, I didn't quite accomplish it the way I wanted to. I ended up having to come back for my senior year for one hour. So, but it was. Um, experience to learn to change something uh, so and to, and to grow. So stepping into a kind of, I'm assuming a pretty significant role at the time after high school and college, were you ever hit with people looking at you and not having the experience that your dad did? I know that dynamic of always working with yeah. a father or a parent and then having to work with the kid, there's a shift there. Did you ever experience that and how'd you kind of work through it, I guess? I talked to my dad a lot, <laughs> a lot of questions. Um, he supported me a lot, obviously. Um, he Clients, you got to realize when we were in the residential market, so strong early 90s, uh, early 2000s, we, we're, we're, we're doing projects for people. That's their personal homes. So, I mean, they're, they're investing what could be their life savings. It could be it's their forever home. So big decisions are being made by, by these uh, customers. Uh, so they, they do have a high expectation. So an early 20-year-old, uh, man coming through uh, measure for cabinet sometimes is um, I did get some pushback, but but it also pushed me. I was about to say, 20 year old man. I'm sure they were like 20 year old kid at the time. You know? <laughs> Why is this kid coming into my house taking measurements? Like, what do you? Where's your dad, son? You know, how many times did you get that? A lot, <laughs> um, a, a, a fair amount. Yeah. But uh, it's okay. Like, it, I think it, it helped push me who I am today. Um, I I wouldn't change any of it. Yeah, and that is something that's always going to be a challenge. Is that age perception like it's one of those components of being an entrepreneur that is not I guess talked about enough in that ecosystem is that if you start a company at such a young age or you step into the position similar to what you did with the family business you're gonna have pushback because of how you're viewed based on your age you're gonna be seen as lack of experience or walking in the man's shoes and just taking over from his parents or his dad or his mom whoever it may be and you have to build up that credibility almost instantly otherwise you run the risk of no no no. just have your dad call me man come on chad chad just have your dad call me and we'll talk it over not you that didn't happen quite as much as um it might have uh, or could have but um it did happen um i'm i kind of always would try to resolve something myself so and and also call him so yeah and that ultimately is the better move to do right is figuring out how you can resolve it yourself without involving the parent because the further you can start that distancing the more those clients and customers are going to say oh chad knows what he's talking about we can work with him he's good i had a lot of training i guess you could say um for many years i would take um just rides with my dad so i would i would go to job sites with him at an early age and hold the, the dumb end of the tape i guess you could say <laughs> but uh it, it allowed me to learn and i wasn't the one that uh just go to the job site and just kind of wait to leave it was I was learning, so I'm very thankful for, for, for that opportunity more than anything. So um, it's really made who I am. Yeah, and, and seeing who, you know, the clients are seeing you on the job sites, getting out there and not just being the boss's son. You're being an active employee, an active person who wants to learn, wants is eager to actually hone in that craft and develop something to the capacity and the level in which your father did. So I think that's really incredible to see. 
it's been um, it's been a journey. So walk us through. Y'all just went through three rough, almost three years ago, a total transformation of your production facility. Walk us through where you were and what that looked like, and then we'll kind of get into where we are today. So we've been in this facility now for, um, in June, it'll make three years. Uh, we went from a 20,000 square foot facility uh, with about 3,000 square foot of uh, office space to this facility, which is a total of about 75, 78,000 square feet, um, 60,000 square feet of, that bee's going to get you. I know, I heard that, a little buzzing around. Um, so we have uh, you know, over 15,000 square feet of offices and then also 60,000 plus of the shop, and it's it's a it's a huge difference for us. I mean, it allows us to our quality goes different, so it goes up. Um, more space allows you to see things better, uh, to, to do things bigger. Um, so it, it's it's a huge step. Uh, we knew there'd be change uh, as as us as a company, um, but who we are as a company is still there. How did you know it was the right time to kind of make that move in that transition? Uh, 2015 is when um, I kind of started this whole process. Uh, we purchased a uh, a five and a half acre tract uh, we're at, and and we had a little bit of a pivot moment in 2016, like many others did. Yeah, we had six feet of water in our facility um, uh, overnight, flooded uh, with tragic flood in 16, and um, kind of paused on the whole process of building this place, which did allow us though to make it even better uh, because of that that pause. Uh, we were able to purchase another five and a half acres, so we have a total of 11 acres here. Um, which allows us to even grow more in, in the years. So um, it, it, it's been a process in the last three years, but um, it's been great because we can service our clients so much better here. Yeah, and I mean, probably making that switch was, was nerve-wracking. We were discussing before you then became the, the whole contractor of this actual development and of this project. So walk us through going from dirt to where we are. So we started off as a, I guess you can say a design build, uh, myself and others here um, kind of drew something inspirational wise and, and, and drew the whole place out and brought it to a local architect for um, th their approval and, and, and for co-compliance. Uh, we hired a uh, contractor to help build this, uh, this facility. And so it was a process learning from, you know, what, what happens with the sewer, what happens with power. So lots of things had to come through for, from something from dirt to, to where we are today. So that um, was an experience that was, was good to have for me. Yeah, I'm sure you're going from, okay, we just need to build cabinets, and now hang on, how do we build a facility that houses equipment? What do you need here? I mean, we were just recording, and you had your machine going in the background. We'll talk about it in a little bit, but it's like how do you work for all these different pieces coming together to – build a flow of a workshop, you know, at a much three times the capacity in what you were beforehand. I was been uh, privileged to see a lot of other places over the country, uh, mill workshops. Um, I've been to many and you, you never go to one and think that I want to build that exact building or that, <laughs> that exact shop. You take pieces and, and, and you put it together and that's what we did here. So slowly um, built uh, our production line. So to start adding pieces of equipment into the mix, um, we were able to bring equipment in here before we move. So our transition was actually a little bit easier um, in one respect uh, because we could we spun up a, a production line and, and then moved our existing production line here. So uh, that made the transition a lot easier, even though it was during COVID. So we moved in June of 2020. So you had ever you had already drawn out everything and where it was going to go, like before the like before the first like I guess stone was turned for this place. Uh, not so much with the the 
we cover, we started with a shell, but mm-hmm. the production line didn't probably get really designed until I'd say six months into uh, us having a, a structure that we knew we were going to build. Gotcha. And so going through all that, how did you know, I mean, did you have all this equipment beforehand or were you able to expand and get other pieces that you didn't have at the other facility? So we had some things, um, similar uh, machinery that we had before the tier, but uh, the, the, the big thing here is our store tech and Telestore. That's um, it's the only one in the state of Louisiana. So until we got that here, we had to take about a about a 12 month uh, journey to to get that brought overseas from Germany. Um, it was a long process, you know, designed at the Fiddler building, but it allows us to move materials in ways that we never did at the old place. So um, that's um, an amazing thing. So what 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 is that? Because it's a very big piece of equipment that was doing things by itself. So what the heck is it? So basically what happens is we, we receive our, our sheet stocks, um, and it's an in-feed station. So we can take a unit of material, uh, tell that machine that it came from this vendor, uh, it cost this much. Um, we want to put a shelf life on it maybe for, for 30, 60, 90 days, um, just as a, um, not that it goes bad. It's just that it tells us that do you want to do something with it if it's still in here. So it's got a lot of um, ability to tell us uh, data that we never had. Uh, it moves it for us to the saw, so the operator never physically has to pick up a sheet um, to cut it. And we'll actually stack material on top, too, uh, while it's cutting. So it's it's very fast, so it's bringing it to the saw. It, it reduces injuries on our staff. Uh, it, it lengthens their career because they're not picking up uh, heavy loads on their backs. Um, so there's so many advantages what this does of uh, knowing what jobs that material went to. So a lot of data that allows us to do it and then the speed. So I want to talk about the importance of like AI and all that intelligence and all that data and how it integrates into your company as a whole. I mean, that alone is like just a pure database of information. How does all that play into what the customer is going to see at the end of the day? Um, I see it, I think they see it in our quality, um, but because of the precisionness of the, uh, how we cut parts uh, from sheets, um, taking it from a saw, taking it to an edge bander, taking it to a machining center, to an assembly line. Uh, all those steps and having the, the, the good machinery to do that allows us to have it. So not that you can't do it without it. It's just it becomes more challenging to do so uh, at this scale. Yeah, I mean, you get your precision down like to, I'm sure, a micro difference. Yeah, my dad said he, he never thought we'd be dealing with thousands uh, in woodworking. <laughs> so uh, that was something I'll never forget. Yeah, if I'm going to get it like within a 16th, like I'm, I'm good with that. You Most know? do. So y'all are able to literally get it down to the thousandths of an inch? Yeah, we millimeters. So oh my gosh. It's, it's, these machines are precise. So from a production output standpoint, what did this facility do moving into it from like a volume? We're still figuring that out. I mean, and, and the reason I say that is because we're a custom shop. You know, we don't have a catalog that you make. Um, this one product in different sizes, you know, we make different sizes, but it's, it's fitting your space. Uh, so we look for, you know, the flexibility to have, uh, to create something for you. So allowing us to make things, um, fast, uh, for the customer and then also affordable. Um, so having this, um, ability does that. So speaking on the, the customization and the customer input, let I want to walk through like a customer experience of what they would get going to Gator Millworks. Like from start to from first meeting to they get the keys back to their get, get the keys back to their house. What is that going to look like for them? Well, for a homeowner, that's going to look a little different than it does for a commercial job. So um, 
a residential client will sometimes have a design that they have in mind that they want to use and sometimes they do not so we can provide them with design services um, and um, basically start with a set of plans you know or or uh, Pinterest photos, uh, you name it. Um, <laughs> Most likely it, Pinterest photos, it, let's be honest. It used to be magazines so, um, when I started, it, so uh, it was just books and books of that. So, but you take those uh, ideas from the client and, and you make them you know, reality. So in what type of, I guess, materials are offered within y'all services? If um, you can cut it on a saw, we'll usually cut it. So um, we, we offer... You know, everything from uh, plywoods, lumbers, um, uh, to solid surface materials, it just really depends. So, but nothing like stonework, we don't do, but um, it, it's, a, it's a mixture. Uh, man-made stone, which is what this table is. Yeah, I was about to say, this, this table, I'm intrigued, like, how did you get to the point where you knew this was going to be part of the, the production, I guess, like with this particular tabletop? This particular table and top actually was, uh, we, we were host, hosting an event here, and we wanted some standing room uh tables and so we came up with this this idea to to make this hexagon table and uh and we had some material here and we did it very cool so what does it look like from a larger scale production for a commercial or industrial size how is that going to play into the customer component so that um it could look that could look differently too because they have uh, budgets uh, that we may work on for 12 months or uh it could be something that calls here today that uh, we're picking up uh, someone else's uh capacity of of not being able to perform so it, it just really depends on what that is but um, it's usually defined more what they're looking for because the architect has provided that uh, that information a, a little bit differently than uh, for a homeowner gotcha and so you will actually pick up capacity for some different mill workshops in the neighborhood we do um, when when that when that ability does happen for us uh, we get on big jobs we just recently finished a 10-story multifamily project um, in New Orleans. It was uh, for LSU Medical. It was uh, 10 stories of uh, 473 or 472 units. Uh, Holy smokes. It had almost 6,000 cabinets in it. It was by far our biggest job we've ever done. So it was a, a, a learning experience, but um, a very good experience for the company to have. Yeah, I imagine so. I mean, that is just a massive project for anybody involved yeah we cut many many sheets of material for this one <laughs> yeah I, I bet well your machine was so how much did that machine help you for that project we couldn't do it without it it helped drastically i mean when you're when you're cutting thousands of sheets of material uh in months of time you have to be able to move it fast so I'm not saying you couldn't do it without it but you would need to be working 24 hours a day yeah i mean you're you've ultimately kind of shifted what millworking and being a cabinet builder looks like going from being so hands-on to now you're almost like an assembly line pretty much for the cabinets that you're doing rather than having to do all the hand cuts now it's just so I guess automated which is really fascinating yeah it, but a little more uh, complex because now you're taking more people to do that so now you really? have yeah you have engineering uh, engineers that uh, draw and produce the work to send to the production shop and most of those guys um, uh, have never worked in a shop sometimes. So uh, when that has never happened, so you, your systems and your software has to be on point because it's what's feeding the machines. And if it's cut wrong, it's wrong. 
So did you ever imagine you'd be hiring like a graphic designer or an engineer when you first started no. kind of coming to work? No, I did not. Uh, I couldn't see that 20 years ago. So how has that landscape changed? Like the employees you're looking for over the years, what has that just kind of morphed into in 2023? I think it's the same thing. I think the um, same thing we wanted and looked for as a company years ago, which is desire, effort, passion. I think if people love what they do, they're going to be successful and they're going to want to do it. So, yeah, I mean, from like a, a role standpoint, though, what have y'all kind of seen shift over the years? Um, well, the trade itself has been, um, I guess you can say, I hate to say dying, but, you know, we, we've had to change into technology because of, um, you know, carpentry work, just not as it's just not as taught as much as um, I wish it was. So well, and I feel like most skilled labor trades are kind of dying like that you know they're not people aren't going to trade schools as frequently as they were they're not looking to either become cabinetry workers become carpenters painters whatever it may be it's like it's the whole dynamic of a tradesman is yeah like you said it's dying i mean it's crazy i think a lot of that too is on the trade i think the trade itself needs to change i think if they're not willing to want to change that it's going to be difficult for you to keep up with with society. So what are some things that you've seen, I mean, not only in the cabinetry world, but like, I guess, I mean, you're involved in construction from A to B now with your process and with Gator Millwork. So what have you seen over the years as like an industry shift in the trades and how are they kind of combating that from your perspective? I think everyone has to approach that differently. Um, What we do is um, we work with um, and and reach out to uh, local high schools. Uh, we, 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 uh, We go every year to Walker High, I'll have a manufacturing day event here sometimes and and host that and bring in students uh, at a young age to show them what is here and and what they can do. I think that if you don't do that as a business owner and show yourself, open your doors up, that it becomes harder. So do they have like a trade school that works within becoming like a a cabinetry maker or something like that? Um, a few. Um, there's one There's one college actually in uh, Pittsburgh, Kansas. Okay. Uh, we actually recruit there. Um, it is a, a four-year uh, architecture millwork program, and it's a it's a small program, but uh, they do teach what this, this profession is. So, Do they not have anything here in Louisiana? Not for, um, not for like a two-year or four-year education, no. That's crazy. They don't do it. And, like, you would think with the way that it's a dying breed, I mean, here in the South especially, like, you've got to do something like that. You have to have some type of education system that's going to teach people trades. Yeah, and I think some things are changing with that at the high school level. I know Walker High School is definitely doing some things with the trade school, um, getting students ready for life. Um, They've done a well job, a good job with that. So have you had many students kind of, have you piqued their interest enough to come and do summer? Like, do you even offer summer internships here? What does that program look like from a high school stage? We do. Um, we've, we've had students come from Pittsburgh State University. Um, we have had um, uh, high school students that uh, too recently have graduated early themselves uh, this year in December uh, from Live Oak High School um, and are actually full-time employees here as we speak. That's pretty cool. Yes. So in their work in, like, on the line, becoming engineers, what – what is the opportunity is available to somebody in high school listening to this, thinking they want to do some type of cabinetry work or become, you know, a hands-on trade service? So, I mean, a lot of times people start off in a production environment, you know, and uh, we've had, you know, 
employees that start in production environment. And as of today, we have uh, senior project managers. We have um, long-term staff members that have started from a production environment to, to, to an office environment. So it, it's really about the effort and the desire and your passion. And I think that's where employers can get over that hump of losing the trade is that in-house training that, you know, you don't label it as a univer as Gator University, but I mean, it's ultimately what you're doing, right? You're teaching these people the craft over the years and moving them up in their position rather than just saying you're going to assemble cabinets for the next 20 years. That's correct. I mean, we, our, our production environment here is a float, um, more like a utility knife. You know, it's, it, you have to have that, I feel. Um, and, and when you say years of training, it, it takes that in this profession, you know, it's, and the reason for that is, is opportunities, they don't present themselves sometimes to, to teach. So if this particular product uh, that we're making today doesn't present itself again for three more years, I mean, you know, you don't get to teach that sometimes. So right. we're a custom shop. Yeah, I mean, being custom, exactly. You're, you could build the table for an event one day and the next day build out somebody's kitchen or bathroom and just that happens. always altering what projects you're on. That ha We have to be able to pivot uh, to do things. So in, and on that how much, I guess, are y'all, not from a dollar standpoint, but like how important is that for Gator to just totally invest in getting people the understanding of the process from beginning to end? And I guess the process here does change. So um, <laughs> the, everybody wants the process and we have them, but th those processes will change with the work. So I think that comes with uh, patience more than anything from people. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing that I know I struggle with at times. I think we all do in, in, in the world, but it, it's, it's being patient with the process and knowing that it will change um, and, and it will work itself out. So what is the hardest thing about doing like custom work with what y'all do? Patience. Because <laughs> it, it, you're going to run into something that you didn't see and um, you're going to have to remake it. Um, you know, that's just the way it works sometimes. But um, you have to be willing to make sure you're wanting to do that because of the quality. Yeah, well, I mean, and ultimately, if you're, like we said, when you're building something for, like, a residential home, you're coming into their safe space, right? Their space where they're going to raise a family. They're going to have countless meals around. And so they ultimately need it to be perfect because you're servicing them directly. Whereas commercial or industrial, you may not be servicing the person that's signing the check. You may be servicing a bunch of people that that person's going to service. So you don't have that one-on-one -on -one connection with the end user, possibly, but as for a residential, like, yeah, I mean, have you ever had to go and completely change what you made on a job because the customer was like, ah, we want to move the sink here. We want to do this and that. Yes, we have <laughs> um, more, more times than you can imagine. And sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's, it's a desire for the client to change something. And if it's, uh, if it's achievable and affordable, uh, we'll do it. Yeah, and that's the other part, affordable, you know, because at the end of the day, if it's a change that's at the last minute, those are hard conversations to have with residential customers is, okay, we've got everything done. We're going to go to install it. And they say, we want to move the sink, you know, six inches to the left, or we want to have the cabinets a little bit wider here. Like that's got to be uh, nerve wracking. Yeah, yeah. Nerve wracking as a business owner. I mean, cause then you either have to say, okay, can we absorb this? Or if not, I mean, you're going to have the difficult discussion of the client who's probably already pushing up against their budget of it's going to cost X, Y, and Z more because now we have to essentially remake your cabinets. And with being custom, it's not like you can take that and go to the next job with it. You're not using it nowhere else usually. So, yeah. I mean, um, so what do you do with that? With what? Like with if somebody says we want to change X, Y, and Z after it, it's installed, 
what, what happens to it? Um, usually, we, we they usually keep it, um, put it in a garage for storage or something <laughs> like that. Um, sometimes we can repurpose it, but it, it's rare, so um, it's it's kind of important to try to get it right the first time. Yeah, what is it? Measure measure twice, cut once. Yeah, cut twice. <laughs> yeah, don't cut twice. Yes. So, do y'all end up actually finishing the products that y'all are making? Like, I know the table that we're sitting in front of is an unfinished or an, what's the technical term of this board is it unfinished that's a raw uh raw thank you that's unfinished but same thing but we do uh finish work here too we're actually in the process of uh upgrading our finishing capabilities here we just put in a new flat line uh, spray line for um spraying coatings for paint stains and then uh, next week we're actually installing what is a what they call a shoebox which is a microwave i guess you could say okay and what this machine does or microwave is a you can spray a product with coatings and put it into this box and within 20 minutes uh, we can remove that product a cabinet door or a cabinet uh, itself um, and and stack 300 pounds up on that product because it's completely dry because the technology is drying that coating from the inside out, which typically dries from outside in because it's air surface, you know, you know, takes it first and it's a slower process, which is usually around 22 days to get 100% cure on paint. When we're, we're going to achieve that starting sometime next week um, in about 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Holy smokes. So that's, you know, acceleration. So now we're looking at uh, when we're QCing a project that may be shipping tomorrow morning, um, and this afternoon, we realized that there is a damaged product. We can take that, recode it, put it in a booth, uh, dry it, and put it in that truck and have it there tomorrow. So are y'all at the capacity now where you can have, like, next-day turnaround projects? Um, somewhat. It, it, it always depends on size, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. um, the scale of it. But as a rule, you sometimes. You can't do 400-and-something four, rooms. <laughs> We're not doing that. We're not doing 6,000 yeah, cabinets 6,000 cabinets tomorrow. Yeah, that takes months. Yeah. But, I mean, like, I think, I mean, do you see the technology getting to that point where you become, like, an Amazon of cabinets? So if a homeowner says, I want a kitchen set, you can potentially make it in a day? I don't know. I think that it kind of takes away custom. You know, um, I think that we... I think the client wants that flexibility to make those decisions. Uh, no, that's the, what we're looking to. That's the client we're looking for is what we like to do. So to have something that's a product line, I, I do see us doing some things, but ultimately we want to serve our clients, and, and most of our clients are custom. So we want that creativity uh, to do. So will you ever look at, like, doing a lot, like a line of Gator cabinets that are standard set and you can run them like that? We're, we're looking at some things right now. One thing is a custom furniture line. So um, that's a, a product line that we really feel like we can support on a national level uh, from office furniture. Uh, and we're excited about what's coming potentially with this. Yeah, I mean, because once you get to this, the standardization of just cabinetry or even furniture, like, then you started looking at Home Depots and Lowe's and, you know, how do you then start servicing all of those that just have built-to-order items or even like Ikea? I don't think that's our market. Um, I really don't see us going to that um, end of the spectrum because that is a very competitive market and it's really not custom. So it would be challenging for us to, I think, to pivot to that direction. Yeah, I mean, that custom, like you said, still keeps that element of creativity within both the designer and the customer. They're not limited to have this size cabinet with this cut and these finishes it's what do you want from start to finish yeah if you dream it we usually can build it um it's one of the things that you know, we look forward to in the next several months uh, we have a, a showroom here that we're we're 
we paused on it when we moved in because we wasn't ready for the, the foot traffic through here yet. So now we're, we're at that point looking to, to continue our growth here in this new facility. So in the few, uh, next few months, we'll be opening up our, our, our showroom here that we're very excited about. So how did you know you were at that point? ready to start pushing forward to the showroom i guess what what pieces needed to align to make that happen i think just workflow so um as work you know changes um market changes pivoting so you know to do commercial work and residential work is is not usually seen um yeah you're usually doing one or the other so that's a, a great thing that we wanted to stick to our, our roots, you could say, of, of the residential market, uh, and we still do that well today. Um, so it's, it's important to us to, to do both and, and allows us to, I think, stay that custom way. Yeah, I mean, it's generally, I know for some trades, it's you start in your residential because it's easier to go and find the customers, and then you go to the commercial because you can have bigger margins, and then some people will end up in that industrial space where it's just you control the price, right? But staying in that residential is tough, I'd imagine, to stay within there, stay profitable, and stay able to provide the same level of quality and product that you are for your commercial customers. I think it's hard to grow sometimes in that direction. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing that's, you know, if you're looking for growth, it, it can be a challenge. Uh, that's why I think the different product uh, mix is good for the company because during the downturn of, of of markets, you know, commercial can be strong and then it cannot be so strong at times. So I think for us, it's been, it's been beneficial having both because it allows us to continue with, um, you know, keeping our staff, uh, growing the company, um, challenging ourselves uh, with different products. Was there ever a point in time in an economic downturn where y'all got worried you were going to have to end up closing shop? No. Um, I guess the, our, our, moment would have been the 2016 flood you know that was a moment that you know you wake up one morning and you lose everything so, so y'all lost everything in the flood six feet of water we had in our building oh my gosh yes now was that this building or no that was going? before we moved here in 2016 so you know it was a tragic moment uh, we rebuilt it uh, that's when we paused on this whole process here because we were about six months away from starting this building when that flood happened so i mean what did y'all do how did y'all get what did y'all do to get past that and work through it? Work every day. Um, we took our staff every day. Um, I think it was on Tuesday when we got back into the facility, and um, it was a lot to do, obviously. Um, we had machines that were completely covered with water and had to be replaced. Um, and I guess you can say bad timing for us at that time was that our wood show uh, which happens in Atlanta every two years, was two weeks away in a market that was actually tight on equipment. But we were fortunate enough to have a good, strong relationship with this machinery supplier, and, and, and they took care of us in a way that I'm, I couldn't be thankful for because we were cutting cabinets out again primitively in nine days. Nine days. Business, or nine calendar days. Nine, not even, okay, so nine y'all calendar from days. six feet of water Nine days later, you're you're back up and running. Not not 100, percent but yeah, yeah, yeah. within I think 35 days, we had uh, our our panel saw, um, a um, edge bander, and our key things we needed within 45 days of this flood that took place in 16. So you mentioned that wood show. What is that? It's the International Woodworking Fair. It happens every two years in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's it's literally uh, some material suppliers, machinery companies from all over the world uh, come here to to show what is the latest and greatest products. 
Okay, and so is that where y'all kind of learned about the? I learned a lot through that for the years. My <laughs> about first the full office. Yeah, I went there in two thousand four, my first year ever, with um, the intent to buy a CNC lathe, which would like do like a foot for a cabinet or a post for uh, you know a turning. Um, and I stumbled upon a CNC router, and uh, it was I still remember it like it was yesterday. And uh, seeing that machine run and seeing what it could do for us as a company, it was like. It, it blew my mind. I remember calling my father. He was somewhere in another part of the, the building. I said, you need to come check this out. And um, he, he saw it, and he's like, this is this is a game changer. So what's a CNC router for those that don't know? So a CNC router uh, allows us to take a, a sheet of plywood, so a 4 by 8 sheet or something that could be bigger than that, and we take uh, your parts for your cabinets, and we nest those into those sheets for best yield. So it's like puzzles. Like taking those pieces and putting when we don't physically do it, it's an algorithm yeah, that yeah. does it. Um, <laughs> but it, it it's amazing to see how it it creates those patterns and allows us to be efficient with our work. So um, it, what it does is it, it does that for us, and then it we basically load the program, put the material on those on the machine, and it cuts the parts out and prints a label. puts the la- we put the label on the part, and it identifies that through production. Yeah, I mean, and that's. When I'm, when I, whenever a typical person on a weekend project is going to make a cabinet, they're not going to probably mentally do that. The, the average Joe won't. They're going to say, okay, I need to cut you know, two feet off here, four feet off here. And then you get down to it and you have like so much scrap wood left over. You're like, what do I do with this? That happens here too sometimes. I mean, um, it, it, it's inevitable, yeah. Yeah, um, it is. One good thing we have here with that to help with that is um, off-fall management. So when we cut these parts and it is a drop, it will inventory that drop as a, a usable drop, and it gives it a, 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 a I guess you can say, a, a, a unique number. And really? Yeah, so when production sends out another job, it may it, it's going to recognize that that part's available and tell the operator you know, to pick and use that part instead of bringing a new piece. So it, it, all this technology allows us to do these things. I mean, some of the stuff I can't do because uh, I'm not involved in day-to-day operations, but... These things is why we built this place, is to be efficient and to better help train and teach this trade. Yeah, you may have a puzzle piece that doesn't fit on this puzzle, but it'll fit on a different puzzle. Correct. <laughs> or you can cut it out for the other puzzle that you're building. And sometimes it could be six months before you use that drop again. But but knowing where it's at, you know, that's the, the great thing about what we can do. That's it's, crazy. It's pretty different. And so is there like a capacity or a limit for the amount of storage or, I guess, brain power that this machine can have and how long it can store a piece like that? Yeah, so, I mean, um, it's, it's, about, it's not about the thickness of the material, like inside the store, what it keeps. It's about the overall height of a stack. So, you know, it's about six foot overall heights um, is what it can have. And I don't think we've even got close to, the, to maxing the capacity out on this. Now, what is unique about it is that it learns uh, behavior of where you put materials. So by placing um, this stack of material here uh, in this location, it may, you know, two months from now go, okay, we're going to start storing that here because it's more efficient and faster to cut it from this location and retrieve it instead of where it was. So it learns uh, it's it learns your behavior, I guess you could say. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and will help uh, identify um, where you can improve. That a little that a little scary for you? Somewhat. The machines learn. Yeah, <laughs> the I mean, machines learning who you are. <laughs> I mean, this industry is uh, a little bit behind. I guess you could say always from like the manufacturing of cars and um, and things like that. Um, 
but robotics is coming for us in this industry. It's it's here. Uh, literally, a robotic uh, machine can come and pick up a stack of parts and bring it to the next machine. So a person doesn't have to do that. But um, it, it, that's a long ways out, I think, for for some. How so? I was about to ask you that. How long do you foresee? needing a staff to like assemble and put these cabinets together before it's replaced by a machine. I don't see that. I mean, I, I don't see that here. You know, people are important. So I think that, you know, technology here is to help um, lengthen someone's career is the biggest thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Safety, um, your health. It, it, machinery is not to replace people. And I don't see it that way because it's just a trade. You, it, it just helps you do it. Um, it helps oh, yeah. you it helps you get rid of the 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 pain point of maybe cutting something wrong because of uh, of the old way. Right, yeah, and that's kind of where I was getting is, like, not necessarily eliminating the, the people but shifting their roles, right? You know, making sure the machines and programming the machines to do the work and kind of assist with that, you know, like bring, like you're saying, if it's a cabinet that's too heavy to lift, using the machine to help them so they're not pulling their back, you know, and giving longevity and a better source of life. Yeah, we have a lot of those things throughout here just from, um, you know, helping uh, longevity for everyone because it's, it's, you have to have people. So by not having those things in place, it's, it does, I've seen it where carpenters, their bodies hurt. So, oh yeah. I mean, that's anytime you have a manual labor or manual trade, you're putting significant wear and tear on your body. And without proper recovery or time off, it's just you're deteriorating everything over time. And you get to the point where you can no longer, you know, maybe pick up a four by eight sheet of one inch thick plywood by yourself at that point. You just lost the ability to do so because of how much wear and tear you have. Without a doubt. So where do you all see kind of Gator making its next step within the industry? I think just keep an open mind, uh, changing, uh, serving our clients um, you know, the best we can. So I think we'll continue to grow uh, nationally as we have been doing for years, uh, supporting uh, you know, more challenging projects too. We, we, we seek those. So it's something that we want to be challenged uh, on a daily basis. Now, within those challenges, have you ever come up against something y'all just literally couldn't handle? Um, Maybe we thought that in the beginning, but we usually have always, I don't know of anything we've walked away from and said, you know, during the middle of a project, said we can't do this. So um, there's been jobs we've bid and, um, <laughs> and, and taken on that we probably didn't know quite how we were going to do it when we started. But um, I think that's part of the process sometimes is figuring it out. Yeah, not necessarily faking until you make it, but, you know. It's definitely not until you make it. Yeah, but I think it it goes back to the experience and the equipment you have, I think, and the people. You know, having the knowledge of of putting your heads together. This is a very collaborative company. You know, it it takes a lot of different minds to do what we do. Yeah, I mean, and also recognizing that you're doing something similar than you've probably, you've probably done it before in the last 25 years, just not to the scale in which this client could be asking you to do. Correct. I mean, especially now being in the career as long as you have been, you've probably seen for the most part, just about everything, unless it's some creatively new design that's just never been seen before. We do see a lot of different things, and, and, and I'm challenged with that, and we are challenged a lot, So, and that's a good thing. So um, it's not everything's the same, so um, yeah. it's good. Which I feel like is also kind of an incentive for hiring, you know, telling people you're not going to do the same job every single day, even within this profession. Some people look for that, though. I mean, but, yes, um, I think that um, – the growth opportunities is what allows that to happen. So giving people that growth, uh, the ability to do that. But there are people that are looking for that, that spot to, to look, and there's nothing wrong with that. We do need that to, at times. So I think it's a, it's a mixture here.
So whenever y'all are selling, like, for somebody's cabinets, are y'all doing all the assembly in-house or y'all do it on site? So everything is usually assembled here unless we can't get it in the room. So there are times where, you know, going up to a three-story uh, or two-story house that, that you sometimes can't bring parts and pieces up there. So you have to dissect it. And that's the good thing about some of the machines we have is that how we, when that does happen, it gives us the ability to assemble things in a field that it, it really it doesn't make a difference. So um, having components that snap together uh, makes things a lot easier. So, and, and you really can't do those things without machinery that's precise. So on that machinery element of the snap-in pieces, are you able to, within it, tell the space you have and so it'll tell you where the brakes need to be or is that still kind of man calculated that's still got to be done by a person so it's not generating that based off anything else that so there's some metrics with that that'll do some things and break it but as a rule the the, the engineer or the, or the project manager is making those decisions in the beginning gotcha i was about to say that'd be pretty pretty incredible if you could put the whole house within the system and say okay here are the doorways here are the breezeways and it's calculating the angles and showing you basically how to install it in that house or in that building and then what size pieces have to go to fit through those uh doorways you must have watched the jetsons <laughs> i did not watch the jetsons <laughs> but i mean i just i'm thinking like at this point with how you're describing the technology to me it's like okay it's got to be able to do something at least close to this with like maybe a new construction or something where you get the plans and everything's laid out already on paper or within cad or a design it's like to me that would be an organic step yeah i think ai is coming with some things to do that i i don't know much about that in yet but i do see some things like that coming uh we do a lot of 3d work so uh we're, we're kind of gearing towards some things but i don't know about um, that goes back to the creativity we like to create so to give that away to something else i don't know that we want to do that <laughs> you don't you don't want to advance technology not, to that well point. not in that way no yeah i understand so i mean as we kind of start to wind down and wrap up the show we have like a set list of questions we typically like to ask everybody and so for years being in the business for 25 you know years and being having to go through some challenges initially and taking the family and taking the family business over what are like three lessons you've kind of learned along the way it's more than three um, <laughs> okay, well, give, give us a list what are some lessons you've gathered in your years um learn to listen you know i think that's important for for people to Put yourself in someone else's shoes. I think if you can't do that, it's going to be a long road. Um, love what you do. Um, I think if you don't find that, um, it's going to be painful. Um, Very painful. <laughs> um, and it, it, I guess the third one would be is um, be willing to change. You know, um, if you're not, it's going to be another long road. So, um, and yeah. I think you just got to be willing to change. And, you know, not necessarily completely changed but like a pivot you know recognizing when the change is necessary and sure not trying to you know continue pushing through something that's just it's not budging but then making that pivot and moving around and ultimately getting to the end goal is definitely something that's going to be important for yeah we don't want to reinvent the wheel that's for sure but no yeah. need that <laughs> there's no no reason to change up or reinvent how something's done if it's already at a, a very efficient capacity i agree so what is something you did as a kid you wish you could still do today? I'm still a kid, so <laughs> um, I, I don't know that answer. Um, I guess uh, I don't know. That's a tough one. Okay, so what is something you did growing up, like whether it was with friends I, or family? What is kind of some good childhood memories? I enjoyed playing baseball. 
Okay. I did. Um, it was a challenging sport. Um, you, it, you push yourself through it. Um, so I think that, you know, sports are great for that um, and makes people who they are. And even if you're not a, a pro star, it doesn't have to be. I think that it, in sports in general, it, it's great for that environment to learn to be around people. Yeah, it gives you that team building effort. Most too, definitely, you know, especially in baseball and those team sports, it gives you the lessons of collaborate. You know, learning how to collaborate, learning how to give and take, and learning how to deal with a variety of personalities in a tense environment. Yeah, and listening to a manager. <laughs> yes, learning to take advice and where to change and mix things up. Yep. So, what is something you love about Louisiana? Uh, the people. It's um. I think what I've heard and seen uh, in, in my life of 43 years, I think that the people here are just um, amazing. Uh, we're different. Um, I think that we, most here will step up and do anything that they need to do to help someone. So I think that's a huge thing. So I completely agree with you there. The people are always eager to help out. You know, with y'all going through this 2016 flood, I'm sure you were firsthand witnessing what some of the people will do. You know, I was I was right there with a lot of people going and helping people tear out sheetrock, pull out their cabinets to then be replaced. And it was like a testimony of how powerful and willing to help people are in Louisiana. You know, we band together through good times and bad, and it's it's like everybody's family here, you know. Most definitely. We did that same thing. You know, we, we divided our staff up for months every morning uh, after that flood. And took half our staff and, and sent them to um, family members' homes and helped them clean up their homes um, to, to get back to life. So it, it's it's what we do. Absolutely. And so for the final question for you is what can I do to help you, man? Um, I would say um, keep being you. Uh, spread the word. Uh, I think this is an amazing uh, place here. I think that the technology here in our industry is something that um, it's not seen, obviously, much. And um, we're we'll open doors. Like I said earlier, it's, um, I think that more people could, can come and see this place and, and be inspired to, to be something different, not to be this place. I mean, it don't have to be, you know, but you can be yourself. Right. So what is the easiest way for somebody to get a hold of y'all, reach out to you and kind of explore some different products that y'all are able to create for them? Uh, we got a lot of social media accounts. So I think you can see a lot of our work through it, uh, our website, uh, as well. Um, Soon our showroom will be open, and uh, we look forward to seeing uh, Baton Rouge um, people come and see it. Absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate your time today, Chad, and welcoming me into your insanely just I'm blown away by this production facility you'll have over here. It's absolutely incredible. So thank you for your time today, man. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for coming out. Absolutely. And thank you, everybody else, for listening or watching to the show, whatever form you're consuming us. I'm very appreciative. I know the guests are as well. If you've got a cabinetry job that you want to have some custom cabinets made, make sure you reach out to Chad and his team, and they're definitely going to take care of you every step of the way. And thank you also to the amazing folks that bring you this show each and every week. We've got a little bit more about them right now. Sell your home for a $399 flat fee with Falaya. No, seriously. Falaya will list your home on the MLS and help you get all the way to the closing table for as little as a $399 flat fee. Our online platform is insanely easy to use and will save you thousands. If you're thinking about selling your home in 2022 and want to keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket, you need to check out Falaya. Falaya, real estate reimagined. 
Thank you all so very much for listening to this episode of the Patty G Show brought to you by Government Taco. They're located on the corner of Government Street and Jefferson Highway. Jay is always slinging up a new taco of the month. So if you're a frequenter to Government Taco, let us know in the comments what you thought about this month's taco of the month. If you're not a frequenter, maybe trying out this month's taco might just convert you. Big thanks over to them at Government Taco for making the Patty G Show possible. Imagine taxiing on a plane looking toward the end of the runway. It seems so far away, it's even hard to see it. And that's what the concept of retirement probably felt like when you were in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, way far in the distance, not visible or even a concern. But as you turn 50, something happens. Retirement suddenly seems like something real, something not too far away. In your 50s, you are rolling down the runway. Retirement is getting closer and closer, faster and faster, weeks and months zipping by. But are you even ready for a successful takeoff to retirement? Fear not, there's still runway left, but the time is now. Time to make progress and time to get a plan. The Runway Decade will help you get organized, get energized, and give you the direction you need to take off to your desired retirement. The Runway Decade, building a pre-retirement flight plan in your 50s. Thank you to Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge for making this show possible. Nick Pintus is a past guest. We love having him on. Listening to him talk about the culture they have over at Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge is really an incredible thing to hear. How they treat not only their employees, but every customer that walks through the door. You are more than just a number to them. They're going to give you that white glove, concierge service every step of the way. They're going to make you feel like family and take what can be a stressful time in people's life. Shopping for a car, they're going to make it so enjoyable and so pleasurable. You're going to want to go back there time and time again for every new vehicle. Thank you so very much for Mercedes-Benz of making this show possible. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Lake Men's Health Center with our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group. Guys, I know it's tough to get out and go to the doctor. I know it's challenging to find time in our busy days, but I promise you, signing up to be a part of this group with Dr. Curtis Chastain and Dr. Tyler Boudreaux, you won't regret it for several reasons, but most of those being the fact of the time it saves, where you're able to get in on the same day, get that appointment done, and spend that time you need to talk with them about what your health goals and concerns are, as well as ensuring that the financial investments you have, you will be able to live out and see those come to fruition. So if you're an investing guy, you know all about and planning for the future and investing in the future. There's no other more important thing to invest in than your health. Make sure you go check them out, our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group Men's Health Center, and tell them Patty G sent you. McClavey's Limited, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show, has been serving the Baton Rouge area proudly for 40-plus years. Gentlemen and ladies, if you're shopping for your man, there is no other place in the Baton Rouge area to get your clothing, whether it's game day needs, everyday needs, business attire, formal attire, whatever you want. Go over there, see Frank and Ashley. It's a father-daughter duo. They do incredible things in their store. They will outfit you from as simply a shirt that you need for one evening, or all the way to a full wardrobe overhaul. They're going to take care of you every step of the way, and be sure and let them know that Patty G Show sent you. Oh, man, don't want a complication.